Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you please rise as we honor America with the playing of our national anthem. Please welcome David Sanborn. If there's anything this pandemic has taught me, it's that hope is important. Chaos comes and goes, and so does stability. But through it all, hope. Hope that tomorrow is better than today. Hope keeps us going. As we've been locked down with only a rising death total and Tiger King to keep us company, some of that, at least for me, was lost. Or at least seemed distant. Our friends weren't there to cheer us up. The chance encounter on the street, non-existent. For me, this has led to mood swings. Sometimes I'd be able to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I could start to game out how all of this would end if infection rates collapse uh, this rate and we get some kind of therapeutic on that date, then maybe we could have a picnic on Memorial Day. Considering I'm recording this on Memorial Day, obviously that didn't happen. Life had other plans, and when those revealed themselves to me, I'd get stuck. Now, in reality, none of this really changed. It was a game of my expectations. It was the rise and fall of hope. A roller coaster looping up and tearing down. The universe knows where the track goes, but you, you are just along for the ride. Imagine yourself at a dinner. You're the newest member in an old group of friends, and they start telling you a story that has twists and turns. One minute you believe the world is a beautiful place, but the grimaces on their faces tell you that there's a big swerve coming. The next moment, you're in despair, but they reassure you things get better. At a certain point, you're so sick of the whiplash, you start screaming at the person who started the story to begin with. You are too invested. The people in the stories live these highs and lows through a decade. You're doing it before appetizers. That is how hope can manipulate us. It's also Forget Paris, a movie I'm very happy to tell you about today because I believe it is Billy Crystal's best movie of the 1990s. And it is with that that I introduce you to Crystal, a successful coping mechanism artfully camouflaged as a film review of Billy Crystal movies from the 1990s. 
unbelievable. I mean, three months ago, I am this confirmed single dope. I'm living back in New York. I'm writing for the paper I used to deliver when I was a kid. And I get your fax. One little number off. And yeah, bang! We both are. I, I, I know, I know. And then I started faxing you, and you start faxing me. And, and pretty soon, we're just faxing each other's brains out. Oh. <clears throat> House red. Thanks. Yes, my I think it's got to be the strangest way for two people to get together I ever heard of. No. No? No. Mickey and Ellen are the current title holders for the strangest getting together, at least in their weight class. How did they get together? She helped bury his father. Excuse me? N no, no. I'm going to wait for Mickey to tell that story. Oh. Whoa, no way. What are you, crazy? You can't start a story, she helped bury his father and then stop. That's not allowed. Come on, come on, come on. All right, all right, oh. all right. Here we go. Spiritually, Forget Paris is a sequel to When Harry Met Sally, but about a different phase in one's life. Where Harry Met Sally is all about your 20s going into your 30s, Forget Paris is your 30s going into your 40s. We enter on a restaurant with a couple the night before their wedding. They're doe-eyed lovebirds in their 30s, palpably exhaling that they found each other after many of their friends had already paired up. By complete happenstance, the soon-to-be husband tells his fiance about Mickey and Ellen, the tangled romance of a wayward NBA referee and an American airline official in Paris. The transcontinental romance unfolds as the rest of the party shows up to the restaurant. Couple by couple. Our final revelation comes not from one of the friends, but a random stranger who had just come from the Nick game Mickey had refed that evening. It's awesome. Unlike Mr. Saturday Night, which was never really able to balance the fractured timeline narrative, Forget Paris uses it as a deconstruction of romantic comedies. By telling the story through a bunch of friends telling a story, we get to sympathize with Joe Montaigne's fiance who's hearing it for the first time. This way we can understand the beats of the story and really empathize by the time that Billy Crystal finally shows up at the restaurant. To compare it again to When Harry Met Sally, which told a decades-long story by jumping into different moments in their lives... Forget Paris gives a reason for the story to do it. It's very efficient writing, and the entire script is exceptional, from Billy's frequent collaborators Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. In my opinion, this is by far Billy's best work as a director in the genre that made him famous. The performances are fun, and even the fantasy baseball camp indulgences like, remember when Mr. Saturday Night, when he was trading barbs with Jerry Lewis? Here, it's him going back and forth with NBA players as he is shooting his scenes on the job as a ref. But I gotta tell you, it works. They're climbing all up and down my back out there. Hey, David, come on. You're making five million a year. You can be in a submarine bumping into a periscope. Let's just play ball, okay? Well, you gotta, on, you gotta call that, Stop Nick. the whining, okay? What are you doing now? Make some calls, Mickey, huh? I'll make the calls. Hey, I'm getting a clear up your head. What, are you tired? Yeah, your girlfriend wore me out last night. Oh, 
as a romantic foil. In my opinion, Deborah Winger is probably better suited for Billy Crystal than Meg Ryan was. Ryan is really her own supernova because she's so innocent and adorable. Winger, on the other hand, feels so much more like someone you've met. And it makes her interactions with the insecure Crystal feel more real. It also helps that Ellen's character is really rich. She hides a marriage from Mickey. She fights for her career. She has a complicated family situation that's mostly told off screen. And that's all baggage she brings in before you get to the drama of their relationship. Simply put, I'm not sure why Forget Paris has largely been forgotten. But I do have a guess. It's a story that's really gonna only be appreciated by a certain age group. Dating in your 30s, marriage, aging parents, infertility. These are all issues that people are either too young to relate to or they're too real to laugh about. While the movie does an exceptional job of telling a funny, heartwarming story around it, I'm not sure if every audience is going to be ready for it. But as a 37-year-old man, I know I was, and I think you will too. The chaos in downtown Oklahoma City did indeed resemble Beirut after what police believed to be a 1,200-pound car bomb ripped through the nine-story federal building shortly after 9 o'clock this morning. More than 500 people were already in their offices, and at least 50 children were in a daycare center on the second floor. Now it's time for our disaster of the episode. A reminder that even as the delightful fare of Billy Crystal sparkled across our screens, indeed... Tragedy still existed. On April 19, 1995, Timothy McVeigh, with help from his accomplice Terry Nichols, blew up the Alfred P. Mura Federal Building in Oklahoma City. 168 people died, including children who were in the daycare center directly above the rented truck. The investigation into the crime saw the assembling of the largest team of federal agents since the assassination of JFK. To this day, it is the most deadly domestic terror attack in American history. McVeigh was motivated to become a mass murdering terrorist because he believed the federal government was out of control and had crossed the line into killing its own citizens. He cited Ruby Ridge and Waco as examples, but those were only real world proofs to demonstrate that a more sinister agenda indeed existed. The feds were out of control and they were setting an example to anyone who dared step out of line, at least in McVeigh's point of view. Motivated by these conspiracies, validated by the ugly scenes in Ruby Ridge and Waco, McVeigh wanted to bring death to the government's door in return. During the subsequent trial, Lawyers argued about the identity of a leg. McVeigh's lawyer used the mystery appendage as an attempt to sow doubts in the minds of the jurors that McVeigh had acted alone to detonate the bomb. McVeigh himself hated this gambit. He wanted everyone to know that he acted alone. 
McVeigh, of course, was convicted and sent to prison. And yet, as any kind of collective trauma would necessitate, interest around this case persisted. And some became convinced that the mystery leg is indeed proof that McVeigh could not have acted alone. And possibly there was a one-legged man who got away. This, of course, infuriated McVeigh. McVeigh was executed on June 11, 2001. And on his last day alive, the most notorious domestic terrorist in American history used the last letter he'd ever write to slam the conspiracy theorists who doubted him. A subtle irony that the man whose own conspiratorial mind led him to execute the most unforgivable act in American domestic history was to his final breaths tormented when others did the same to him. Do you sleep with the window open? Uh, yeah. I don't like it. You're gonna have to stop that. Okay. Do you squeeze the toothpaste from the top or the bottom? Uh, top. Well, don't do that. I hate that. If you ever use my car, you better put the mirror and the seat back where I like it. Don't use my razor to shave any part of you. If you ever start to lose your hair, you better not grow that big, long thing down from your side and wrap around your head, because it's disgusting, and I don't like that. Don't ever hand me food and say, taste this, see if it's bad. All right. OK. OK. You want to talk about religion, politics, whether you want to have kids or not? Nah, that crap will all work itself out. We've handled the big issues. I'll marry you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Forget Paris cost $21 million and made $33 million, a modest profit. This was also the last movie Deborah Winger shot for six years. She left Hollywood reportedly to care for her ailing mother and returned in 2001's Big Bad Love. She was the subject of a 2002 documentary, Searching for Deborah Winger, not only about her absence, but the larger issues women face in an industry that only seems interested in their youth and beauty. And it's with that that I bring an end to my series, Crystal. Thank you if you've listened. This uh, has been a bit of a weird project. While my initial goal was indeed to make it all the way through the 90s, reviewing all of these Billy Crystal movies, I found myself uh, at a bit of a crossroads over the last few weeks as I was looking at some other projects that I, I really want to get going on, considering I'm, I'm a one-man band here. And I found myself justifying not doing them because I needed to figure out the perfect way I could tie the Oklahoma City bombing into Forget Paris. 
And so I, I realized while there is an element of me that very much enjoys doing this, and I hope people have enjoyed listening to it, uh, this one might have to go in the time capsule for a little bit. However, I'm sure anybody who's listened to all of these will realize that this was much more than me just doing a film review podcast. Uh, it was an opportunity for me to share elements of my own frustration with uh, the pandemic to you, the people that have given me everything that I could ever want in life. You are incredible people who have listened to even the weirdest stuff that I've put out. And in fact, if you are listening to this right now, the very, very, very last few seconds of this project, just do me a favor and tweet me Forget Paris. Because... I'll know who the hardcores are. And I just want to be able to say thank you to you individually. You guys take such chances on all the stuff I've done. And maybe that's the lesson that I wanted to learn throughout all this. That I could do the weirdest thing that I needed to do just to get that energy out. And there'd be someone there to listen. Until next time, my name is Justin Robert Young. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>